Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello. Rejoining me this week, Matt Myers, MLB.com national editor. Matt, hello. Happy February 1st. How you doing, Mike? Uh, it's definitely February. We're, we're so close to baseball. Like, Base- baseball so stuff will happen this month, like next week. And it's it's so weird how many free agents there are still out there, like dozens of them, guys who could actually help teams. And you, you're starting to wonder if these guys are freaking out a little bit, like, hey, I've got kids. I don't know where my kids are going to be in school. We should probably figure this out. And I think that's what teams are banking on is, uh, you know, maybe salary demands coming down. So, summer school, perhaps? I mean, so, is that what you're referring to? Summer school? I mean, like baseball season well, really you know, drive with the school year, but I, I mean, get your point. At a certain point, it does. Like, it overlaps – Totally unrelated topic. Uh, I think today we want to talk about some of those guys, but also kind of talk about uh, home runs, right? And uh, everybody loves seeing dingers. And I think a big topic in baseball over the last couple of years has been there's this huge increase in home runs over the last two seasons. In twenty, From 2015 to 2016, we saw 701 more home runs, which is an enormous gap from one year to the next. And there's been a million different studies done and theories and, and tr- people trying to figure out if anything's changed with the baseball or if anything's changed with the strike zone. And there's probably a, a lot of different things that maybe all add up to this. But what I found that I thought was interesting is I found 50 different hitters last year who had at least uh, an increase of 10 or more home runs. And and that's just counting guys who had a minimum playing time in both years. So I'm not counting a rookie who didn't play the first year. Uh, but guys who played in both years, there's 50 of them who added 10 homers or more. And that's a big chunk of that 700 right there. Just guys who had already been here hitting more home runs. Yeah, and, the, and the, you know, the names you see on this list are kind of, you know, some of the, some of the, some like, quote unquote, I wouldn't say breakout players, but some of the standout players from last year, Mark Trumbo, obviously a name that, that jumps out. Um, you know, Freddie, Freddie Freeman had a big resurgence last year, particularly in the power department. Um, Brian Dozier. These are the names that you know, that come, and then there's some other more like names you wouldn't really have thought of, like Nick Markakis and uh, Jed, Jed Jerko, <laughs> Fre- Freddie Galvis. Yeah, I mean, it's, so there's a handful of these guys. Um, it, it was a little bit about playing time, like you know, uh, Miguel Cabrera, Jonathan Scope, and missed some time the year before, so that they did get more playing time, so that helped. But a lot of these guys, I think, are really on the record as saying, "I tried to do this. Like, I actually thought about how can I hit more home runs, how can I get to better power." And, you know, we've we've seen a couple of these guys come out and say, well, I really focused on my launch angle, you know, or my exit velocity in this launch angle range. And I certainly don't think it's as easy enough to say as I'm going to hit more big league pitching for dingers and, and it's as easy enough to do that. 
But I think it's interesting that we've got a lot of examples of guys really trying to do that. And so I don't know how much of that do you think goes into the home run increase that we've seen? I think it's a, I mean, to me, it's a, it's a, it's a big part of it. Just as you said, we've, it's, it's manifested itself with players talking pretty openly about it. I think, you know, Trumbo has been on the record about it. Um, Bryant, I think has been on the record on it as well. Yeah. Bryant's uh, great. He actually not just, he didn't only, not only mentioned launch angle, he mentioned actual degrees. Like, I don't remember what he said, but he's like, I want to cut my launch angle from, you know, 24 degrees to 26 degrees or whatever he had said to cut down on his uppercut swing to minimize strikeouts, which he did. He cut a strikeout percentage from 30% to 22% and didn't lose any power at all. Yeah, and it's it obviously runs counter to what all, we were all taught in Little League about, you know, just put your bat on the ball. And obviously in Little League, when fielders aren't very good, putting a bat on the ball has right. a lot more value than it does in the Major League. What, what do you think the Little League average batting average on balls in play <laughs> is, like 800? <laughs> so, yeah, it's a little bit different when you get to the big leagues and all of a sudden you have infielders like Manny Machado who are going to scoop up everything and throw you out. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of guys I want to talk about here. The first one that really stands out to me is Jason Kipnis, and I bring him up because Jordan Bastian uh, of Olympia.com did a really interesting piece on him for Indians.com this week trying to explain in detail exactly what Kipnis did to increase his power. So he's one of these guys. He had nine home runs the year before, went up to 23 home runs. Interestingly enough, his slugging percentage didn't jump by that much. I think maybe he traded some of those doubles for home runs. So it was only a little bit of an increase. Um, but he was pretty clear about what he did. He's like, he came into spring. He said, I'm going to try to hit for more power. And so a couple of things he did was he really improved his hitting on inside pitches. And so he had a career high 41% pull rate he had a career high 37 percent fly ball rate he dropped his ground balls from 45 to 39 percent if there's been a, a saying on this show that we've ever had is there's no slug on the ground like the cubs say and he's really someone who's manifested himself with that i really love this quote that jordan got from uh, one of the assistant hitting coaches in cleveland who said kipnis probably took more pitches out over the plate that were called strikes that in the past he probably would have hit and i like that it wasn't a pitch he thought he could kill so he just let it go, and he was waiting for something he thought he could drive. Yeah, and there was also a very specific breakdown in the story uh, about how in the past Kipnis would, would he would sort of you know try and like get backspin going the other way. He kind of like try and almost slice the ball down the left field line or into the left center field gap, which he basically said he stopped doing to try and turn on everything. And there was a side by side spray chart showing his extra base hits from 2015 versus 16, and it like it jumps. It jumps out at you. There was like a lot of doubles to the left field corner in 15, and in 16, it was like everything down the right field line. Yeah, you, you want to be like, you want to be wary, I think, a little bit of group think. You don't want to say, well, this worked for one guy, so let, everybody should try to do this. Like, everybody should go up and try to pull the ball down the line. That's totally not true. But I think you have seen a little bit of a change over the last couple of years where it's the best hitters don't necessarily all go the other way. You know, uh, Brian Dozier is a perfect example. He hits the ball in the air a ton and he hits it down the line a ton. And if your average fly ball distance is, let's say, 330 or so, you're going to get home runs. You do that down the line. You're going to get flyouts. You do to dead center. So I think it's interesting to see a guy like that. Daniel Murphy is a great example. He he uh, came out and had a quote uh, on one of the games this year where he said, I was told that my exit velocity and batting average was higher when I put the ball in the air to my pull field. So I thought I'd do that. And it's like an incredible oversimplification because I could tell any player that, but every player can't go take a 95-mile-an-hour slider and make that happen like he could. But I think it's really – it's cool to see that these guys are just like, oh, that makes sense. I'm going to do that. And yeah, it's funny because any, anytime you watch a, a baseball game and someone like, you know, goes the other way and like, you know – slaps a uh, a single over the shortstop's head into left center field. A fine piece of hitting. Fine piece of hitting. <laughs> when someone hits the ball 450 feet, no one's ever like, that's a fine piece of hitting. Yeah, <laughs> and it's really not just about brute strength. Obviously, a lot of these guys are, are giant muscular guys. But, you know, you're looking at this list here. Jackie Bradley is not a giant muscular guy. I, you know, Jose Altuve, I put on the list, he missed by one home run. He didn't technically count. But he's here because he had a big home run increase because he's 
well known for being five foot six inches. And he is another guy. He stopped swinging at balls outside the zone. He started swinging at balls inside the strike zone, hit the ball harder, hit the ball with more launch angle to his pull field, home runs. But he's a, he's an interesting case too because he actually maintained a high batting average, right? Which usually, the, you know, when you sort of adopt a little bit more of this grip it and rip it approach, you're sacrificing batting average, which in his case he really didn't. And obviously, for in his case, it also helps that Crawford boxes at uh, it absolutely Park. helps that you know that ballpark is uh, is well suited for a right-handed hitter who wants to try and. Uh, turn inside pitches more yeah there, there's one name on this list i want to focus on for a second and that's uh gregory polanco i feel like he gets a little bit lost in that pittsburgh outfield because we've talked a ton about andrew mccutcheon and starling Marte is one of the more underrated superstars i think you don't think about gregory polanco so much last year he had he had his best season but it still wasn't like a superstar season he was slightly above average uh his arm actually wasn't what it was because he was playing through a, an arm injury and an injury but he actually he popped uh, I, I think like 13 more home runs than he did the year before and he was kind of the limit the, the like lower class version of daniel murphy you know started pulling everything started putting everything in the air all of a sudden that's a guy who had a ton of more home runs i'm interested if he's healthy this year if he can do the same thing he might be one of my biggest breakout guys for this season oh he's i mean i'm i'm all aboard the polanco <laughs> family. i was on it last year so I'm, and he was good he, he was, was good great he was good but going into the season he was sort of one of my breakout picks he was a guy i was like oh, i definitely want to get him on my on my fantasy team and i will ride that again this year he's a I, I foresee a, a couple of superstar seasons from him. I don't know. Uh, now's about the time. You know, he's been in his mid-20s, was the top prospect like three years ago. It's like he's I, right in that sweet spot. For, he's the perfect post-hyped sleeper, as man, he used to say. I don't want to get to the point where I think Gregory Polanco is old. Like, I'm not ready for that. He's only had three seasons in the big leagues. So, anyway, he's a, he's a really interesting case. And, you know, we've talked about a lot of these guys before. Like you said, Chris Bryant. Uh, Christian Yelich, I think, is a fantastic example because he's a guy who, what did you say earlier? He who's the only regular hitter in 2015 with a negative launch angle. Yeah, which was like my favorite, which was <laughs> probably my favorite StatCast takeaway from 2015. But he was still good. You yes. expect a guy like that to hit a lot of weak grounders, and he was an above-average hitter. And that's also another good and instructive thing about, you know, why average isn't always that useful because, like, you know, it's – he may miss frequently – pounding into the ground but when he hits it well he hits line drives and as long as like when you hit it well you're hitting it you know in parts of the park and off your bat that is going to create hits that's really what matters right and i'm looking over this list there's a couple guys hanley ramirez is someone we talked about where he had a really poor first half and then he changed his his mechanics so they held his hands up higher got more lift on the ball and all of a sudden he was fantastic in the second half so he crushed the baseball you know you look up and down this list and it's like okay some of these guys i don't have an explanation for i can't tell you why freddie galvis started popping homers but there's a lot of guys who made real changes that were easy to see and came out and said i'm trying to make this change i want to make this happen now as the the game sort of evolves towards this and i'm curious to see if this you know evolution is going to continue if more players are going to try and copycat it just means more strikeouts means more home runs but it means more strikeouts fewer balls in play does that as a viewer of the game does this bother you from an aesthetic standpoint well yeah i think you've hit on something interesting because one of the things that i can't really measure that i think plays into this is i would not be shocked at all if some guys are like i don't care about the strikeouts i'm just going to swing as hard as i can because i would rather crush a homer than fly out and if i strike out more well so be it and you're right strikeouts are constantly up uh, contact is down home runs are, are fun and everything but i'd rather see more contact being made and so I don't know how you fix that other than doing something drastic like changing the mound or something because it's not like pitchers are going to stop throwing hard, you know? So if hitters are really not so worried about contact, they're just worried about power, it does seem like kind of an ongoing trend. Yeah, but the one, I guess the one possible way to kind of counter it, you know, is I feel like in the, right after the A's, you know, the Moneyball A's started to 
to succeed, there was a lot of copycat teams. And that team, this was, this was basically slow-pitch softball. It was, you know, Giambi, Matt Stairs. It was a team of guys. They basically, I don't want to say they punted defense, but. Oh, Scott Hattieberg. Right? <laughs> defense was a low, lower priority. So I do wonder, and what ended up happening after that was suddenly defense was starting to get, teams started seeing, oh, there's like, you know, this is the, the new market inefficiency is defense. And I'm going to go get a bunch of great defenders and maybe sort of change the way that we um, play the game to counteract that, counteract that and find value that way. So I wonder if maybe theoretically we could see that shift again where suddenly teams, players who hit for average and play good defense could suddenly be – if everyone's trying to find the guys who hit home runs, if maybe we could sort of cycle back again. Well, and- so that, that's interesting because – this kind of reminds me of something you mentioned this morning. If you look at the the really good Royals teams of the last few years, teams that, that went to the World Series twice in a row, they were known for what? Making contact and playing good defense and, and bullpen, of course. And then if you look at them this offseason, they're not that at all. They're actually going the other way. They, they've gotten some of these – Brandon Moss, they just signed the other day. Jorge Soler. Jorge Soler, right. Guys who can potentially give you power, don't offer much at all on defense, and strike out a lot. And I'm not saying that those were necessarily – good or bad signings it's just that it's very unroyals yeah right and so but it, it's interesting you say like maybe that teams would be more contact oriented the team that you would think of for being contact oriented has now decided ah oh, well whatever we'll go get these power guys i don't know it, yeah, it's the, not necessarily a trend i just thought it was interesting the royals they, they have their, their their team record for home runs steve balboni i think it's either 35 or 30, 36 35 or 36 yeah. it's the lowest by far of any club and a lot of that has to do with Coffin stadium but this year they, this is they they have a few players this might be the uh with uh, full seasons of Moss and Zolaire, you never know. This could be. They actually have a few players who theoretically could hit 35 home runs. Right, there's a couple more power hitters we want to talk about here. Uh, one is just a very brief note because I have no data or stats or anything interesting on him. Willie Mopena signed a minor league deal with Cleveland, and I don't know if you don't know who Willie Mopena is. He was up with the Reds like a decade ago. He got traded for Bronson Arroyo to the Red Sox, bounced around a bunch, uh, spent the last four seasons in Japan, and it hasn't been in the big leagues since 2011. And you're wondering. Why do I care about William Opeña? Because if we had Statcast ten years ago, William Opeña would have been just hitting 135 mile an hour rockets. He could never make contact. He couldn't really play defense, but he crushed the ball like nobody else. And he's back. And I, I just wanted to make it to the big leagues for a minute so we can get some data on him. I'll be so excited about that. You know, it's funny. Before you were like, "Oh, I don't want to live in a world where Gregory Blanco is old." <laughs> now it's William yes, Now we, we, we're living in a world where you think some of our listeners have not heard of William Opeña, which is even more frightening as far as I'm concerned. I guarantee there are some listeners, hi, Dad, who haven't heard of William Opeña. Uh, he turned 35 last week, making him younger than both well, of us. Well, he will be in spring training in Arizona, so at least maybe a game in Salt River. We, we oh, can, uh, get some now stag- I'm extremely excited about this. All right, back to guys that you may actually have heard of. Chris Carter uh, hit 41 home runs last year for Milwaukee, led the National League with home runs, got non-tendered by the Brewers because they didn't want to pay him a projected uh, $9 million or so in arbitration. Still hasn't signed with anybody, and it's February 1st, and there was a report yesterday that said he might be thinking about signing in Japan. And On the same day that William Opeña signed from Japan. So, so we're, maybe, we're, we're trading sluggers back maybe, and forth. <laughs> maybe this was the universe's world of telling us. Perhaps. Uh, Chris Carter is, I will be honest, a somewhat limited player. He's not a, a very good defensive first baseman. He strikes out a ton. If you like batting average, he's not very good at batting average. He did hit 41 home runs last year. I mean, he crushed the ball. And if you look at it, he gets on base a little bit. I kind of saw him, if you set aside the defense, as being very similar to Mark Trumbo. You know, I don't think there's that much of a difference. Now, I'll say Trumbo can play the outfield. He's a better first baseman, so fine. But why is Chris Carter not employed? I, I get that the first base market is kind of, uh, you know, overstuffed right now and teams aren't paying for non-versatile players, but 41 homers. Well, that's the thing is Mike Napoli's still out there, who's basically like the same type of player. And, the, you know, it's the Rangers and Napoli have been linked all offseason. 
and it seems like it's gonna happen. But I think I'd take Carter over Napoli. I uh, well, for the same for the same contract, I think I'd take I think I'd take Napoli if, if everything was equal, because I think he's a better he's a better overall hitter. He doesn't have the same power, and he's, he's probably a, he's a better first baseman. The the issue is that like he's at the age where players like that often just nosedive. I mean, uh, Nap- Napoli's like my age. That's and that's old for baseball players. <laughs> Napoli's not your age, is he? He's, you're you're thirty six. Thirty seven. Thirty seven. Okay. Well, I think he's thirty five. Yeah. Well. Uh, anyway, but Chris Carter, um, how how is he not a, a Tampa Bay Ray yet? Right. So they just traded Logan Forsythe to the Dodgers. They don't really have a second baseman, but they have a lot of guys who could combine to form some sort of Voltron of second baseman. Uh, Nick Franklin. They have uh, Tim Beckham and Brad Miller, who started last year as their shortstop and then went and played first base. He could play second base put chris carter at first base right i mean i feel like the rays are having a weird winner i think we talked about them like a month ago saying they should sign jose bautista and they didn't obviously because they're not trying to blow it up they didn't trade chris archer or Emma longoria but they haven't done a whole lot to go forward other than sign uh wilson ramos who is hurt so i, I think that the the we have a uh, like a little uh sidebar on the rays here i think that the rays I'm I'm on board. I think but they the got to do something. I think they're gonna be. I think they're. I think they're gonna be pretty good. My point is, I think they're gonna be pretty good this year. I think they've got. They sold. I think they sold for for their purposes. They flipped Forsythe at a great time, knowing that they got three years of him of like really low cost. Flipped them for six years of Jose De Leon. Yeah. Like, like this is like a way the team like the race has to do business. They basically like sold. Not saying that I think Forsythe's gonna fall off a cliff, but they essentially his value's not gonna go up. Like, uh, that, they sold high on him. That trade tree, by the way, if you go back a couple years, they traded uh, Jesse Hahn, who who I like, but he's always hurt and he's never really been able to stick. So they traded Jesse Hahn for uh, a couple years of Logan Forsythe. They got Brad Boxberger. They got another reliever whose name escapes me. Oh, Matt Andreessy. And they got they tra- they flipped uh, um, Logan Forsythe for Jose De Leon. I mean, that's a trade. Yeah. That is how teams like that succeed. So but between that, I think they just they with De Leon, you know, they have like they actually have starting pitching depth. You know, Chris Archer was sort of weirdly ineffective last year. Great but, in the second half. But exactly, great in the second half. They've got you know we've talked we we love Kiermaier, maybe most underrated player in baseball. I think that they're they're in they're really in a good position to compete for a, for a wild card spot because they have you know the Red Sox are the most talented team in that division. The Rays I think are as good as anyone else in the AL East. But they got to sign Chris Carter. They should. They need a power hitter. Yes, I agree. And also, he's exactly the kind of player that the Rays would sign. Just like when no one else is left, the guy who can hit a bunch of home runs, that will probably sign for not much. All right. I don't think it'll happen, but it really should happen. It would make me sad if he's not in the big leagues. Uh, let's let's finish off here on uh, a guy we thought would be a big power hitter last year and wasn't so much, Byung-Ho Park uh, of the Minnesota Twins. And this is going to be fun because we get to talk about barrels. And you know I always love talking about barrels. So uh, the Twins signed him out of Korea last year where he had a reputation as being a powerful hitter who struck out a lot. And that's basically what he was. He came over to America, got off to a good start, seven homers in his first 21 starts. I remember he had one off of, I want to say, Josh Tomlin, one of somebody from Cleveland, where he just destroyed the ball. I think I remember you saying he had a ball that he hit in spring training that went to the moon, and it just, like, the entire continent of Asia started clicking on our <laughs> site because they were so happy to see it. But anyway, his season was not successful. He overall he hit 191, 275 on base, 409 slugging, ended up getting demoted to AAA, where he said his wrist was hurting and then ended up having wrist surgery and missed the second half of the year. So overall, not a very good season for Byung-Ho Park. But I noticed over the last couple of weeks and months, every time I would look at some sort of stat cast power hitting metric, his name would always be at the top. Now, part of that's because, you know, you can hit the ball hard and strike out a lot and still not be a productive player. But I thought this was really interesting. So our friend uh, Travis Sawchuk of Fangraphs wrote an article about him, which you can see on minnesotatwins.com at some point soon. 
he actually ranks really high in barrels, right? So, for example, if you were to look at all players who had at least 75 balls in play last year, uh, the number one guy in terms of barrels per batted ball, okay, Gary Sanchez, you'd expect that. He had an insane season, 18.8%. Number two, 18.7%, so basically tied, Byung-Ho Park. That, that's impressive. I mean, you can't do that by accident. And if you did do that while your wrist was hurting— I mean, if you can get healthy, that that's got to show you something, right? Yeah, for sure. It's uh, he's definitely gonna be an interesting player to watch this year for that exact reason. And he sh- he showed some things early in the year. This is a great sign for what he can do. He'll have a year under his belt. Have seen the, you know, have adjusted to the majors. Sort of know what to expect for a full season. You can't discount how much of that that you know that definitely is a factor for a player coming from a a foreign country and. The Twins are going to be. I'm not saying they're going to be good because I don't think they're going to be good. I'm saying they're not going to be good. But they're going to be between him, Buxton, Buxton, Sano back at third base, uh, Kepler, Kepler. They still have Dozier. They like, have no pitching, but no, their lineup. They're all, their lineup. They, is they got a pitch framer in Jason Castro. <laughs> their lineup is going to be fun. I think it says a lot about the Twins that we just named like seven Twins hitters and none of them were Joe Maurer. <laughs> but I want to go back to this list real quick. So this was a uh, percentage of barrels, which are the best thing a hitter can do per batted ball. So like I said, Gary Sanchez, number one, Byung-Hill Park, number two. And the reason I want to go back to this list is just kind of name the other guys in the top 10 because it's really impressive. And taking it full circle to some of the guys we've already talked about, Chris with a K Davis, number three, obviously crushes it. Uh, Nelson Cruz, unsurprising. Chris Carter, number five. That's a really good side. Uh, Mark Trumbo, unsurprisingly, number six. Now, I'm going to skip one guy here real quick. Eight, nine, and ten, Giancarlo Stanton, Chris Davis, Miguel Cabrera. Chris Davis with a C. Chris, well, both Chris Davis. Yeah. No surprises there, right? Number seven, St. Louis Cardinal fans, Tommy Pham. And I like Tommy Pham. Do you know why? Because he is one of those guys who's really talked about the data. He's like, I went on Fangrass, and I saw that I was hitting too many grounders, so I decided I wasn't. And this is what he said before the season last year. Now, I think he got hurt and didn't end up playing all that much. But here's another guy. When he played, you can see... He barreled the ball up. And say, I like this. I'm hoping that we can kind of look back on the show at the end of the year and say, you know what? Tommy Pham and Bianco Park, they actually stayed healthy and they had a great 2017. Well, of course. But again, this is barrels per batted ball. You have and to make contact. You have to make contact. And so, of course, that's why you see players like Chris Carter. I mean, that's the thing about Bianco Park is he might be Chris Carter. Well, if you are if you are enough of a power hitter, you can live with a 30% strike carry. Yeah. It, it's going to be tough to be you know an effective and efficient player. Now, you can't live with a 40% strike carry rate or higher than that. But we've seen guys strike out of a third of the time and still be effective. But yeah, my point is that like though, like you know, if his career is basically going to mirror Chris Carter's, like that's fine, that's fun. He'll he'll entertain fans, give some souvenirs. But it's like a player that sits in the free agent market well, for four months. You know, it's you're you're totally right and not wrong. But as long as he entertains me in terms of Statcast data, that's that's really where my concern lies here. Reasonable. So uh, anyway, he's uh, we also have another list here. Uh, exit velocity, just in terms of hitting the ball in the air, fly balls and line drives, because that's really where exit velocity matters, much more so on the ground. He's top 10 on that list, too. Tommy Pham, number two. Uh, Franklin Gutierrez, who, by the way, used to be the best defensive center fielder in baseball, now isn't, but oddly just crushes the ball. He's another guy who's out there. So anyway, it's really interesting to see a, a kind of stat cast way to look at some of these free agents who inexplicably don't have jobs. So that's our show for this week. I'm hopeful that next week when we talk, somebody will have signed some of these guys, and maybe we can talk about where they fit in their new homes, right? Of course. All right. That's our show. I'm Mike Petriello, Matt Myers. Thanks for joining us on the MLB.com StatCast podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. 
I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 